Our first Bible reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 33, beginning at verse 12. And if you've got one of the Pew Bibles, you can um, find that on page 80. That's Exodus 33 and beginning at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favour in my sight. Now, if I have indeed found favour in your sight, please teach me your ways, and I will know you and find favour in your sight. Now consider that this nation is your people. Then he replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, Don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favour in your sight unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favour in my sight, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Please, let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he answered, You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. The Lord said, Here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. The next reading is from John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. It's in page 975 of your pew Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of man. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. He observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, the one is coming after me, 
has surpassed me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. This is the word of the Lord. Jason, thanks, Carly. On the screen there are words from one of my favorite modern songs. It's called In Christ Alone. Uh, The first couple of lines, In Christ Alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song. It's a wonderful song, and I'm sure that we sing it, and we sing it with meaning. But do you realize what you're singing there? You're saying that uh, Christ is your hope, Christ is your strength, Christ is your light, Christ is everything to you. I think the hardest word for me to sing, and I'm probably not alone, is that word alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone is my light. He alone is my strength. He alone is my song. Because what we're really singing there is that uh, life is all about Christ. Without Christ, we have no hope. Without Christ, there is no light. Without Christ, there is no strength. Without Christ, there is no song to sing. See, my observation is that many of us who come to church, we do know Jesus, we do love Jesus, but our, our view of Jesus is actually quite surface level, quite shallow, if you want. And as a result, our, our faith remains surface level. Of, of course we're saved, of course we have faith, of course we believe, but, but we never really plumb the depths of how amazing our faith is and how it would totally transform every part of our life. Uh, My observation in Sydney is that uh, for many of us, our our faith is quite safe. Uh, Our our knowledge of Jesus is, is actually quite contained just so the bits that we can understand, we we like that bit. We, We don't let our minds really be stretched and blown away by how big Jesus really is. And therefore, we never quite expect the extraordinary. And that is why we're spending almost six months in John's Gospel, because it's all about Jesus. I want us to know Jesus better, not not the Apostle Paul and not church behavior and not church doctrine, to know Jesus better. Here's my challenge for you. Will you walk with Jesus? Will you sit with Jesus? Will you listen to Jesus? Will you learn from Jesus? Will you just fix your eyes on Jesus, the author of your faith and the perfecter of your faith? Because I can guarantee you, if you spend the next six months with your eyes fixed on Jesus, your faith will be different. Your faith will be deep. Your faith will be real. Your faith will be Rich, your faith will be radical. Here's a confession. I've avoided preaching John's gospel for the past eight and a half years. It's the only part of the New Testament I haven't preached on here at Church by the Bridge. And this is why. I find it really, really difficult. I find it really hard. Do you ever read those books and 
often actually they're the, they're the Booker Prize winners. You're reading, you're thinking, what is this about? Or let's be really frank, you listen to these sermons and you're thinking, what is he talking about? That's me and John's gospel. I read and I go, what is he talking about? Get to the point. I guess it's a mathematician in me. I, I like logic, and John doesn't do logic. John does philosophical dialogue and theological debates. But here's what, what's helped me change my attitude towards John's gospel. John, listen carefully, John is, is not writing a biography of Jesus, he's preaching a sermon. John is not giving you a, a chronological account of the, the life and the teachings and the sayings of Jesus. He's like he's preaching to you. And like any preacher, he, he carefully selects his material. So he just chooses 21 days in the earthly life of Jesus. That's all he covers, 21 days out of the 33 years of Jesus. And there's no chronology. There's three Passovers. There's four journeys to Jerusalem. He, he is not writing a life of Jesus. He's preaching so that you might have life in Jesus. See the difference? If you want a normal biography, read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke. But if you want life in Jesus, read John. Who is this John? He's John the Apostle. We met him, not the real one. Remember, Jesus had 12 disciples. He had the inner three. He had Peter. He had James. He had John. This is the John, the one who saw the transfiguration, the one who saw the empty tomb, the, the one who saw Jesus and heard Jesus and touched Jesus. And if you'd lived with Jesus for that long, he could have written much, 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 much more. But like any good preacher, he learns to leave stuff on the desk. And like any good preacher, John expects a response from us, doesn't he? So the response to the end of this series on John's Gospel is not, oh, that was really nice. The response to any sermon is, oh, that was nice. That's not the right response. The right response is, what are you going to do about it? How has God changed you? What have you learned? What is the response that John wants? He tells you. John 20, verse 31, the, the purpose of the letter. These are written, John is preaching so that you may believe, you may trust that Jesus is the, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. He wants those two things, belief and life. He doesn't just want you to trust and have the facts about Jesus. He wants you to have life, real life, life that is different because you know and love Jesus. And in many ways, this gospel is kind of like an evangelistic gospel. You're supposed to read it and pray for people that you know and love that might believe and have life in Jesus. So we're going to wrestle with Jesus. And this morning we're looking at the prologue, verses 1 to 18. It's a bit like the summary of all the whole book. All the big themes are going to come out in this prologue. It's a bit like when you, if you're a music lover, you, you know the, the overture... And it just introduces all the main themes, and it whets your appetite, I want to hear this. Or when you walk into an art gallery and you look at the foyer and you see a, a poster of all the pictures inside, I want to see that. That is the prologue. And since John is not logical, I'm going to have to change the way that I preach. I'm going to preach a mind map this morning, so unlike me. 
Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You're supposed to kind of treat this like a kind of a, a murder mystery. Who, who is the Word? Who could this be? And the problem for us is that a lot of us just don't know our Bibles. If you know your Bibles, as soon as he says the word, word, uh, bells are ringing. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 6. Uh, the heavens and the earth were made by the, the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 5, verse 24. The Lord has shown his glory through his word. Psalm 107, God sent his word and he rescued them. Uh, so the Old Testament says that the word creates and the word reveals and the word rescues. And yet, when you read this prologue, suddenly it hits you, it slaps you in the face because this word is, is not a, a force, it's not a power, it's not an it. The word is a person. He was in the world, verse 10. Life was in him, verse 4. And we're supposed to read the prologue thinking, who is this person who creates? Who's the person who reveals? Who's the person who rescues? And of course you know the answer is Jesus. It's obvious. But the first readers wouldn't know that. So let's do this mind map. Let's, let's, let's stretch our mind. These are all the big themes of John's gospel. They're all going to come out in this prologue. And then we'll dig into deeper next, next week. So, so Jesus is the Word, and Jesus is, firstly, he's eternal. See that map? He's an eternal God. That's verse 1, in the beginning. What does that remind you of, in the beginning? Where's John going back to? Genesis chapter 1. John says, okay, I, I know that Mark started with the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and I know that Matthew started with the the birth and the conception of Jesus, and so did Luke, I'm going to take you back beyond the earthly ministry and back beyond the birth of Jesus and back beyond the conception and back beyond the prophets and back beyond the exodus and back to Genesis and back to before time began. And who's there before time began? Before there was a, a single second of created time, who is there at the beginning? God, more than that, is the Word. Jesus was there. See, I think that blows our mind because for most of us, Jesus only came into existence at Bethlehem. For most of us, or for some of us, Jesus is just a created being. And just as first three words, in the beginning, John is saying, that, blow your mind, Jesus is bigger than you think. He's always existed. He's eternal. And more than that, in the beginning, verse 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Uh, those two verses are what the Bible calls a chiasm, or if you don't like that word, it's a sandwich. You've got the bread on the outside, you've got the butter next, and you've got the meat in the middle. In the beginning is the bread. Uh, the Word was with God, that's the butter. And the Word was God, that's the central bit, that's the meat in the middle. And John is saying right up front, the man I'm about to introduce you to, he's not just a teacher. He's not just a godly man. It's not an adjective. That word is a noun. He is God. 
And, and so you're supposed to read the whole of John's gospel saying, okay, I expect this man to do the kind of things that God did. What did God do? Creates, controls, heals, raises the dead, and forgives sins. This is really important again because you don't worship a created being. You don't worship a prophet like Muhammad. You worship God, and his name is Jesus. So the word is eternal. He is God. It gets bigger in verse 3. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. He's such a, a great preacher, isn't he, John? He, he states the positive, all things were created through him. And then he clarifies it with a negative. Apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. He's just saying, there's nothing that exists that Jesus didn't create. Uh, your Jesus, he created the galaxies, and your Jesus created your gallbladder. Your Jesus created the shooting stars. Your Jesus created the smell of coffee. Your Jesus created the oceans. He created the trees. He created the elephant. He created the amoeba. And we're supposed to say that uh, my Jesus, he's so much more powerful than I give him credit for most of the time. How big is your Jesus? He's your creator. And then you're supposed to think, hang on a sec, if Jesus created everything... What does that mean for you? It means he created me. And he created you. And nobody in this room this morning is some mistake or some random mix of chromosomes. You are beautifully created by your Savior, the Lord Jesus. He knows everything about you. He made you just the way that he wanted you to be. He chose the way that you'd look and the way that you would act. And he, he knows you perfectly. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus is your creator. It gets bigger in verse 4. Jesus offers life. Uh, life was in him, in the word. And that life was the light of men. In John's gospel, the word life isn't just physical life. He's saying more than just Jesus lived. He's saying Jesus is the one who offers you spiritual life. Do you remember when... Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What did Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the, and the life. He's saying, I'm the one who can actually give you life beyond the grave. I'm the one who can give you eternal life. Or John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. And maybe you're here this morning and that's the simple truth to take home about Jesus because Life is not just about your work or your wealth, and it's not just about your happiness or your health. It's not just about your popularity or your power. Life is only found in Jesus. And unless you have Jesus as, as front and center of everything, at the core of your very being, you have no life. Oh, you've got life according to the world out there, but you haven't got real life with meaning and purpose and direction and hope. It gets bigger in verse 5. The life was the light. That's the next big thing, the light. And that light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Okay, switch on your brains. What does light do? Tell me, what does light do? Takes away darkness. So it kind of illuminates. 
So it's kind of like, you know, you're, uh, you're in your living room at, I don't know, at dusk time, about sort of six o'clock at night, and you're, you're I was about to say reading the Bible, you're, you're reading a newspaper, and uh, your, your eyes are going, oh, and someone comes in and just switches the light switch on, and suddenly you can see clearly. Jesus says, I'm like, I'm like that light, because you're fumbling around in the darkness, you're looking for hope, you're looking for purpose, you're looking for meaning, you're looking for God. And I just come into your life and say, this is what God is like. You don't have to look at creation anymore and try and guess what God is like. You look at Jesus and say, this is what God is like. He illuminates, he gives light. But light also does something else in John's gospel. Light illuminates, and then negatively light, it exposes. Have you ever seen those sort of American uh, news reports where kind of the police shows where you've got an escaped convict and you've got the police helicopters out and they've got a kind of a spotlight and he's running around in the darkness and you've got this helicopter shining a light down onto that person. Why does he do that? To expose him. And that's what Jesus does, you know. And that's why people don't like Jesus because uh, when Jesus shines his light into your life, he kind of exposes all, the, all those dark bits of your heart and the dark bits of your mind that you're a bit ashamed of, you don't want other people to see. And the better you know Jesus, the more you kind of go, ouch, that really hurts. I've got to change that part of my life. And Jesus says, when I come into the world, I'm going to shine a light into this world. But, verse 5, the darkness did not overcome it. Darkness is a metaphor for evil or opposition to God. And he's saying... This is not like Star Wars. This is not like good against evil. The light is going to win. The light will expose. The light will illuminate. I've seen it time and time again, you know. People meet Jesus. And it's like the the lights go on. And suddenly, they have meaning and purpose. And suddenly, life makes sense. And suddenly... The darkness of their hearts is exposed, but they quite like that because they want to live for God. You can always tell somebody who's met Jesus because like the light has penetrated their soul. Of course, some people don't like it. Some people are like those insects where you lift up the rock and they hate the light and so they run back into the darkness. And then you've got this odd break in verses 6 to 9. You, kind of, you move from the lofty to the mundane. There was a man named John, John the Baptist. He was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light. So God sent the man, John the Baptist. What was the purpose? To point people to Jesus. I like to think of John the Baptist as a bit like the... Uh, the supporting act at a big-name rock concert. Nobody's gone to see them. Everyone's here for the main band. That's John the Baptist. He's just there to say, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Why, verse 7, that all might believe through him, that all might come to faith through him. So he's historical, this Jesus, and he's human. Verse 14, flick down to that, is been described as vulgar. Many theologians have tried to deny this or water it down. What does John say? The word became flesh. It struck me this week. He, he doesn't say 
the Word became man. He's not just saying that Jesus became a man. He's not just saying that Jesus is like God with skin on walking about on the earth. What does he mean by the Word became flesh? I think he's saying that when the Word came into the world, when Jesus left the luxuries of heaven and stepped into our time, space, earth, yes, he became human. Yes, he ate and he drank and he talked and he wept and he cried and he slept. He was human. But he became flesh in that he, he experienced all the fleshly temptations and struggles that we face yet was without sin. He really knows what it is to be human, not just to have a human body, but to have all the human experiences. And that's a comfort that my Jesus understands what it means to be human. Uh, the word became flesh in verse 14, took up residence among us. Uh, the word there is literally tabernacled among us, and we've just done Exodus. You, you've got to spot that link, haven't you? John is saying, you know, uh, just as God's people in the Old Testament, they, they had a tabernacle, the place where God dwelt with his people, the, the place where they saw God's glory. You don't go to a tabernacle now. You don't go to a temple now. You don't go to church now to, to meet with God. You go to a person, and his name is Jesus. So, so Jesus became human, and Jesus displays God's glory God's heaviness, God's weightiness, God's excellence. See that in verse 14, we observed his glory. The glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now let's see the, the weight of this. Do you remember the reading from Exodus 33 that Kylie read? What did Moses ask of God? Moses said, show me your your Glory. Show me your weightiness. Show me your heaviness. Show me your majesty, God. And God says to Moses, no, no one can see my glory and live. And so he hid him in the face of the rock. And John says, when Jesus stepped into this earth, we observed his, his glory. If you want to see the glory of God, just look at the person of Jesus. Someone said to me after 8 o'clock church, I'm not sure about this, but it's worth thinking about in Exodus 33, God says, you can't see my face and live. And yet, throughout the whole Gospels, you never get a description of the face of Jesus. And I wonder whether the Gospel writers were saying, I can't describe what he really looked like because he's just glorious. And many of us here need to see the true glory of Jesus, you know. I remember being at the Golden Jubilee um, celebrations for the Queen back in the UK, was it 10 years ago now? I was on the Mall, I had my Union Jack t-shirt, my Union Jack flag, and I camped overnight. And I'm really tragic, I know, I'm sorry. Um, and I camped overnight just for about 10 seconds as she went past in this extraordinary golden chariot. And I saw her, just a glimpse of her, in the distance, and I can't explain what that sort of, what the atmosphere is like in those kind of occasions. If you were at the Olympics, you, 
There's nothing like being there, is there? You can see the photographs. There's nothing like being there to experience that. And John is saying to us, in Jesus, you can actually see the glory of God. You can actually feel the glory of God. The closer you are to Jesus, the more you will be in touch with how glorious your God is. But the irony of John's gospel is this. Where is, where is the glory of God ultimately seen? What does John say in John's gospel? It's not, um, not in a power parade. John's, God's glory is ultimately seen as an old wooden cross. Because Jesus says, now is the time for me to be glorified as he's lifted up. And the more you meditate on not just the incarnation, but the crucifixion and the resurrection, the more you see Jesus, the more that you will see the glory of God. And church by the bridge, we need to see the glory of God. And we need to see grace. And in Jesus, you've got grace. Verse 14, we observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, indeed, we've all received grace after grace. It's a beautiful phrase. It says, Moses gave you the law, but Jesus gives you grace. Grace after grace after grace. He's kind of saying, in Jesus, you've got this, this rich, inexhaustible reservoir of grace that never runs out. When you come to Jesus, his tough words are actually gracious words to you, and his tender words are full of grace as well. When he comforts you, that's gracious. When he corrects you, that's gracious as well. One of my favorite characters in the gospel is, is Peter, because he's stuffed up more than anybody else in human history has stuffed up. Denying Jesus, disowning Jesus, and yet, what did Jesus do? He showed him grace, and he welcomed him back. And in Jesus, you reveals God, verse 18. You haven't seen God, but it's like the plaque has been unveiled, and, God, and Jesus has revealed his heavenly Father. Friends, you're going to be humbled by John's gospel. You're going to be totally humbled because you're going to see grace, you're going to see glory, you're going to see life, you're going to see light. And you've got a choice to make. You can sit here and have a surface, shallow view of Jesus and a safe faith. Or you can allow God's word to really get inside of you and you can see Jesus, the multifaceted, the beauty of your Savior and have a faith that is rich and real and radical. But I've got to end by talking about how divisive Jesus really is. Because verses 10 to 13 really encapture the entire message of John's gospel. Some people loved him, other people hated him. Isn't that true today? Doesn't Jesus still divide history, divide people? Some people love him, some people hate him. And the best way I could come to describe this was uh, people are either like a moth you know, they, 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 they love the light. They go to the light. They, they just buzz around the light. They, they, they've got to be near the light. Or they're like a cockroach. And they love the darkness. And they scurry back into the darkness because they hate the light. And that is true of every man and woman in history. They're either a moth or they're a cockroach. They love Jesus or they hate Jesus. The shock in verse 10 was when Jesus came into the world he created, his own people didn't recognize him. They didn't realize who he was, 
Even more shocking is verse 11. He came to his own people, to the Jewish nation who had been expecting a Messiah and he had the door slammed in his face. They didn't receive him. It's kind of like coming home from a, I don't know, a month-long vacation. You walk up to your own house, knock on the door and you see your kids inside the living room and they see you as well and they slam the door in your face and say, we hate you, don't come here again. Why do people do that with Jesus? Why do people look at their creator and say, I hate you, I don't want you in my life? The same reason that people did back then. People don't like being told what God is like. Jesus claims to reveal what God is like, but they don't like that because people want to create their own kind of gods that suits their own desires. But I reckon the biggest reason people don't like Jesus is Jesus really does expose their heart. And people don't like that either. People love the darkness. It's stark, it's solemn, it's divisive. You can choose to stay in the darkness, you can choose to be a cockroach. Or, listen carefully, God chooses you to become a moth. God changes you from being a cockroach and makes you into a moth. Because verse 12, to all who did receive Jesus, he gave them the right. They didn't earn it. He gave them the right, the privilege, the, the honor to be a child of God, loved, cared for, known. Not because they were born to the right family, not because of their church background, not because of their effort, but because they're just born of God and God opens their eyes and they see Jesus and they believe in Jesus. So the Jesus we're going to meet is just as divisive today as he was 2,000 years ago. I've got friends who are missionaries. They're finding that out when they preach Jesus, when they talk about Jesus. There are some who are like moths. They love it. They flock to them. They believe. They have life. They have transformation. But, but the majority, they're like the cockroaches. They just hate it and they just go back into the darkness. I've got a friend who went to a church in the UK and at that church, there hadn't been a sort of a, a Bible-preaching ministry for a, a number of years, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And this man stood every week and he preached Jesus. What happened in that church? Total division. Some loved it. The lights went on. There was spiritual awakening. There was transformation. There was life. But the majority, they hated it. They resented it. It challenged their religion. Jesus still divides. And my final question for you this morning is this. Are you a moth or are you a cockroach? It's very easy to sit in church week by week and pretend. Have you really believed in Jesus and had life in his name? Do you love the light? Do you love just sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing him speak and wanting to know him better so that you want him to change you and transform you because he's your creator, he's your savior, he's your Lord? Or are you like the cockroach who's just kind of pretending? When Jesus says something you don't like, the barriers go up. When Jesus challenges your, your worldview... Your worldview wins and Jesus loses. When Jesus says a tough word to you, 
the, the shutters go up and you scurry back into the darkness. So I reckon most of us would sing, in Christ my hope is found, he is my light, my strength, and my song, but we don't sing in Christ alone, my hope is found. And that's my prayer, that we would love Jesus and walk with Jesus and have a rich and radical faith.